Hey everybody, HBCU Game Day is here for a super huge conversation because we have lots of news going on. FAMU left, that's new, but it's kind of old news now. Bethune-Cookman left the MEAC last week, or at least announced that decision. The MEAC responded a couple of days later with a press conference of their own. So now let's talk about where the MEAC is, their response, and what the future might hold. We got a super crew on tap today. Wally Pitt, Stephen J. Gaither, Dr. Kenyatta Cavill from Houston, Texas, and down in Tallahassee, we have Vaughn Wilson. Uh, Wally, we're going to start with you first, man. We, we haven't heard from you in, in the last week or so. What did you think the film Cookman rolling out? The MEAC responded. Well, I'll say you haven't heard from me because I have the least educated voice among all of these, all of you guys uh, who had this story covered from Vaughn to we got the doctor and then the journalist. So um, there was no films for me to make, so I fell back. But I was watching. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the one thing I noticed um, in the MEAC presser was there was a lot of talk about history. The one thing that stuck out was when um, Commissioner Thomas said, well, all of these schools got their names from the MEAC. It felt like this really proud kind of like, you know, you would be nothing without us. I, you know, which I was kind of like, ooh, it, you know, it made me feel like there still aren't a whole lot of forward thinking because from us, we want to know what's going to happen. Like, we know the MEAC is a great conference, but we want to know where do you line up? Because that Bethune-Cookman news was, it was in the rumor mill a long time ago. And there's some other stuff that's in the rumor mill. And one thing we've seen from this whole process, even from, even from A&T leaving, and then I bet Steve could speak to the rumor mill from even Hampton, they've all been true. A lot of the rumors that have come down the pipeline have been true. So um, I'm one of these people who I think we're dealing with two separate things. In a perfect world, I want, I want and feel like the MEAC needs to be a conference, a power conference, just because of all the history. But we, we live in a practical world. And right now, I can't blame schools for saying this don't look good and pressing the exit button to get out of there, even if it is to a conference that's not an HBCU conference. And while I know I feel a way, other people feel a way, I can't, I can't be too mad for a school seeing what's happening and saying, you know what, we might need to take our talents elsewhere. Um, but from a fan perspective, again, I, I say this every time, I cannot wait for this new swag. I can't wait. Like, it's just, it's going to be so fun. I, you know, y'all, y'all going to catch me in Mississippi I'm going to get that red rose sausage I've been talking about for so long. I mean, I, I cannot wait to start shooting some of these games and kind of like inundating myself into the culture. So uh, when y'all see me, give me a plate. I'll put you on TV. All right. I'll tell you what. If you're on this call right now and you have a Ph.D., raise your hand. Okay. We're going to go to that guy right there because he is the brains <laughs> of the operation. Dr. Cavill, you um, you kind of had an interesting theory on, on maybe a way that the MEAC could climb out of this hole that they're in. Uh, I don't know if it's a shot in the dark, if you feel like it's really good, but your advice to Dr. Thomas, if you were in charge, would be what? Yeah, I, I come at this uh, from my doctoral perspective uh, as in a consultant in terms of running the numbers. And much like uh, Wally suggested, I heard a lot of history, and obviously history is important, right? Uh, but what I was looking for is innovation. How do you move forward? Strategy, tactics, in terms of what 
are you looking at moving forward? And they leaned on that a little bit by saying that they were hiring this consulting group. Uh, but I would have liked to heard a little more about what does that look like, right? I think I saw Steven jumping here and saying, can I get a little more? Can I get a little more? Vaughn was like, hey, yeah, I mean, but, you hire yeah. consultants, but it's your conference. I mean, you got to give us something. Exactly. So the idea I put out there quickly will be like, I think that you need to go at this from a, not a singular approach, but a multi-tier approach. So one of those things would be approaching a multitude of teams. And let me finish this because I know some of you all are from these institutions. You know them more detailed than I do, and you're concerned about the financial component, right? So, because we heard that if you're a division two, you got to take $1.6 million to move up just in terms of the cost. But the question that comes is, how long do you have to pay that? Is it over the four-year period that it takes you to transition? That reduces a little bit about your cost. But what if you put something out there in such a way that you had a group of institutions, HBCUs for this particular that matched up with robbery that robberies that could exist or could be reestablished. So starting with North Carolina, looking at Winston-Salem State, uh, matching up with a robbery with North Carolina Central, going up to Virginia, looking at Virginia State, matching up with the robbery with North Carolina State, looking at Bowie State with the robbery with Morgan State. Well, yes, that sounds good, but still the cost is a factor. What if you put out there in such a way that you took some of that cost away because you found a way to help alleviate that cost. And I say that in such a way that I don't want to give too much information in case these people call that I still am open for business. Uh, but that's the point that I'm getting on the table in such a way that you really need to be careful of how you look at this. And if you're doing this just the traditional way, uh, then I think you may find yourself uh, in some more uh, issues uh, than you have than if you just continue to do what you've always done, thinking that you're going to get different results and we know how they define that. Uh, Steve, we, we've, we've, we've heard this door slamming over and over again. CIAA schools are, are not interested in moving up to the MEAC. If it became uh, on sale, so to speak, or, or something more feasible than, than $1.6 million to, to get into the game, uh, do you see any way that a, that a CIAA or any Division II school uh, might help fill the void that the MEAC is going to need to fill uh, sooner than later. Uh, I think I think it's very it's very hard to see. I mean, even before COVID nineteen became a thing, that was already going to be very hard. I mean, if you look at the budgets of most of these schools, uh, and some of the ones I was able to access, like a Virginia State, um, you know, some Bowie State. I mean, their budgets are kind of in that four million dollar range, maybe that was kind of at the ceiling there. You look at, in the MEAC, South Carolina State, as far as a football playing institution, they have the lowest budget at, not, at under $8 million. So if, even if they doubled their current budget, they would be having, they'd be at the bottom of the MEAC. Is it worth it? Um, you know, you look at, you know, you also look at, and uh, Dr. Gaville was uh, right to talk about the rivalries, um, but, you know, let's, let's look at that a little bit. When Central came up to Division One, they get a play, chance to play A&T every week, and, I mean, every year, and that's great. That's one game a year. They know they're going to pack the house. But if you look at their attendance, outside of that one game, you know, it's, it's severely lacking. Um, you know, and even Winston-Salem State, where you don't play at A&T, you don't play at North Carolina Central, their attendance was still almost, it was still 800 people higher. You know, it's, 
the proximity, think that the weaknesses of the MEAC has always been the, the lack of proximity, uh, especially at the further south that you go. And uh, I think that, you know, the, the, the money is important. But I think, again, in a, co- in a post-COVID world where everybody's trying to cut costs to go up to a conference where, you know, you still don't know what Delaware State's going to do. They're still on the ropes right now. I mean, uh, you know, they got another day or so before they announce, uh, before it, it, the doors shut for them for the next year. But you got South Carolina State, too, where, um, you know, they, they've had budget issues. They had enrollment issues. And enrollment's going to be a thing for everything. So you can't count the money out. The rivalries are great. I will say I do think that uh, that I did not care for that remark about the schools gaining their prominence in the MEAC. FAMU, they won their championship without being in the MEAC and things like that. So history is important, but at the same time, the MEAC from its foundation has benefited from the fact that, you know, if everybody just wanted to be all HBCUs together, all of the HBCUs on the East Coast would have just stayed in the CIAA in the 70s. But they benefited from the different schools wanting to do what's best for them. And that's been their benefit for the past 40 years. And now it's starting to become a thing where it's not as much of a benefit as it was. And you have A&T and, and Hampton leaving for the Big South. And uh, I'm sorry to disappoint some people. I just don't see either one of them coming back uh, from where they already are. Well, the MEAC's uh, loss has been the SWAC's gain. Uh, Vaughn Wilson, you're down there in Florida, which overnight became SWAC territory. How big is that that the SWAC now owns, uh, for the most part, uh, the HBCU scene uh, in Florida, or at least in the year to come, they will? Well, I don't want to be disrespectful, first off, but uh, Dr. Thomas is a, he's a great guy. But that statement that both uh, Wally and, and Stephen said is an insult to Florida A&M University because there is one statue on the campus of Florida A&M University, one, not a president. It is Jake Gaither who played in the SIAC and won 23 of 25 conference championships. So football for Florida A&M was well underway before the MEAC. So an encompassing statement like that, uh, the Rutland Nation did not take it well. I, I, I have to say that the uh, response, but as far as for the SWAC, over the years, uh, Florida NM and Bethune-Cookman have played several SWAC teams. I started looking at the records in just in football, and it's incredible how many contests they've had against SWAC schools. This has been rumored for years and years, at least in the Florida NM circles, uh, in a shorter period of time, that Super HBCU Super Conference uh, has been rumored over the last decade plus. It just seems like they both came together to form uh, overnight. It just happened really, really fast. And uh, let me tell you, the excitement at Florida A&M and Bethune-Cookman, as we spoke to Lynn Thompson uh, the other day, the VP and Director of Athletics at Bethune-Cookman, he basically said something that – you know, a lot of people wouldn't admit, and I give them a lot of credit for admitting it because I asked him. I said, wasn't it a factor that the Bethune fan base wanted to continue uh, regular play against Florida A&M? He said, absolutely. So the history of Florida A&M and Bethune synonymous with one another, going to the SWAC, uh, bringing the academic part, bringing the bands, bringing the athletics, bringing the traditions, it's a great fit for the SWAC, and I've got to give credit 
to Dr. McClellan for excellent, excellent presentations, excellent execution of the transitions, made it seamless for the schools, at least at the, on the front end, and, and built up confidence in both, in both of the schools that the SWAC is the way to go and they are building a great brand uh, there. You know, you, you talk about presentation, uh, and I'm just going to throw this out there. I, I think any move that the MEAC makes from this point forward, everything is important. The words that they use, the optics of the situation, they have to exude uh, confidence and strength moving forward. They don't have any room at all to uh, show any signs of weakness uh, where they are. When you look back at Friday's press conference, um, I think you got to look at everything. I, I think it was, it was kind of ironic and symbolic <laughs> that you had Dr. Thomas in a, in a conference room full of empty chairs. And empty he chairs. was at the, the, the front of the table and not the head of the table. A lot of people might not look at that and, and think of anything, but uh, I think their energy is going to have to stay up and, and even improve. I thought they kind of sounded, uh, and, and who could blame them, a, a little uh, like a weathered fighter uh, when we heard from them on Friday. Yeah, yeah, despondent. Despondent would be the word I would use. It was, and it was very much like we got to Okay, now we got to talk about it because when Hampton left, it was like, nah, it's all good. It's all good. Nothing to see here. Savannah State Hampton. leaves. Savannah State leaves. They're like, <laughs> you know what I mean? A and T leaves, and they're like, okay, well, we just ain't gonna say nothing. And you know, fam, you leaves, and it's like. They at the door, banging on the door, and then Bethune, and now it's like, okay, we got to say something. That was the <laughs> vibe I got from it. It was very much like, okay, now we got to talk about it. Um, and I, they just, man, they just got to do something. Like, so, And I don't know if there's anything to be done. Um, and one question I've been posing is how many schools are, are falling back saying, hey, we might be able to save ourselves a 500K exit fee by just letting the thing kind of fizzle out. I mean, again, you guys are more educated in terms of how a conference would fold. And again, I want to reiterate, I'd love to meet that. But I mean, right now, I, and again, I, like I said, I got the most uneducated <laughs> view of this. I don't see how it, how it's there. If they come back from this one, I got all the respect in the world from them because I just don't see it. Now, while well, you're talking about educating, you using SAT words to open up. <laughs> now, I mean okay. educated on this subject. <laughs> this subject in general. I, I have not been as, I'm not as well read as you brothers are. Winston-Salem for South County Schools, shout out. Yeah, there you know, go. They, used to, they used to put me in the class where you had to write the dictionary all day. Well, I, I tell you what, dictionary.com aside, uh, Dr. Gavill and I had a chance uh, last week to talk to Ted Gumbart. He's the commissioner of the ASUN conference. Uh, and he had a, a lot of conversations, a lot of different kind of avenues when we talked about uh, realignment in, in college athletics overall. Uh, Dr. Gavill, one of the things we talked about was associate membership. Uh, the MEAC seems to be a little stronger right now because everybody plays basketball than football. Um, do you see a way if, if the, the Division Two thing weren't to work hypothetically, could associate membership uh, be a factor in, in helping the MEAC out? Yes, yeah, certainly. That would be my second line of defense that I would go to as associate membership uh, to really open up the doors for 
uh, what I refer to as historically white colleges and universities to join uh, the conference and associate member platform. Uh, first, a plug in there, I think people should go check out that and a son interview because he really gives some perspectives about how these associate uh, components work. He talked about the partnership between the Big South, which is another component of associate that the MEAC may want to entertain. How do you partner with the other conference uh, to make things move forward? So let's take it yourself. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely, you need to take advantage of all ammunition, uh, as they say in your gun belt, tools in your tool belt, specifically uh, to talk about how do you move this conference forward. So yes, associate member, meaning that they just play a couple of sports or maybe even one sport, such as football, to get that number up in such a way that you can continue with the conference overall for the benefit of moving forward, specifically as it looks for making sure that the MEAC SWAC Challenge and the Celebration Bowl continues and the pot of money associated with it. Vaughn, you've been around forever, around the MEAC, man, around FAMU, between you and your dad. Uh, uh, PWIs in the MEAC, even if they were just associate members, uh, how do you think that would land as a possibility? Well, well a lot of times, uh, when you look at Courtney Gaucher, FAMU VP and Director of Athletics, his presentation about FAMU's move, he referenced a 2014 study that was done, which came to the exact same conclusion that the 2020 study did. I was there for that 2014 study, and uh, the results of it uh, just didn't sit well with administration as would our fan base actually uh, accept FAMU going to a conference that was not an HBCU conference. That's very important. FAMU annually, one of the attendance leaders in football. And so trying to, and in, and during that time, between that 2014 time and, and 2020, uh, FAMU had home and homes with Coastal Carolina, home and homes with San, uh, Sanford, uh, and, and also visited Troy University. And I have to say that the attendance, the home attendance against Coastal Carolina and Sanford did not represent the rest of the season, even with HBCUs, even with MEAC schools. So you kind of get an indication there that it will be an uphill struggle. But over the last few years, the MEAC and uh, Commissioner Thomas have done a great job with associate members. A few years ago, when the FAMU Board of Trustees said to save money, FAMU needed to drop golf and the, the MEAC was in danger of losing the AQ, Dr. Thomas brought in Augusta College, which is a PWI, and they're still a member. Uh, same thing happened with one of the schools dropped bowling. A couple of the northern schools dropped bowling, and they added in University of Alabama, University of Alabama, Birmingham, and another university. So the MEAC is well-versed in adding associate members, and so I think that has to be on the table for uh, Dr. Thomas and the consultants and Dr. Frederick, who is very knowledgeable. Let me j just say that from the MEAC press conference, what I got was Dr. Frederick as a university president is well-versed in athletics. Every school that is successful in athletics, the president has to understand athletics because he has to divert the resources to make it work. So I was very impressed with Dr. Frederick uh, in that press conference that he does understand the full cycle of athletics. Well, Steve and Wally, you guys can talk about vibes when it comes to 
HBCU and PWIs and Wally, maybe more recently you than anybody else. You you've been to uh, you've been to Coastal Carolina and and FAMU. Uh, you've also been to it, it wasn't a game, but you've seen Winston Salem State's band play for Wake Forest fans. You've been in a couple different environments. Elon A and T. Uh, Duke Central, would, yeah, yeah, Duke Central. How, how would you rank those experiences over the last couple of years? <laughs> um, they vary. A um, and T Elon was did have a very good atmosphere. Elon came out. Um, if you go watch the video, you know me and B Dot talked to. I mean, a host. I mean, we had a whole crowd of Elon fans right there, and they were pretty much like, "Yeah, we ain't never been here, but we like it." And waving the foot, you know what I mean? They they weren't really concerned with any of the extra stuff. It was a football game, but you have a um, you have a city rivalry there, Burlington Greensboro. They're close to each other. You know, there's something connecting them more than just two schools who play football. Um, you know, Coastal Carolina FAMU, which is the game I, I re-met Vaughn at that game in 2016. Um, I feel like that was one of the first games of the year, and Coastal Carolina, their whole campus was a party that, that particular day. So, it, I mean, it's hit or miss. Um, I think if you can link them to some sort of other rivalry, like Elon A&T, if you can link them by two cities that are close, you might be able to – to bring some stuff in. But one thing I thought was interesting, um, the A-Sun commissioner came out with a video a while ago that me and Tali watched where he was kind of talking about making this super mega conference of, you know, 20-plus schools to which associate members would play all these other sports. So you might have 25 members of the conference and only eight that play golf. Well, those eight that play golf are your golf conference. You know, you don't have to have schools playing this conference, that conference, or whatever. And my thought is, are they planning on maybe having some sort of micro HBCU conference within this mega conference that they're looking to build? I mean, if they get Hampton, A&T, Central, South Carolina State, Norfolk, whatever, all you know what I mean? Some six HBCUs. We're looking at it now like, oh, they in the Big South, and that's not this, that, and the third. But if the long game, if the 10, 20-year plan is let's have a mega conference, well, they could have a mini HBCU conference right in that mega conference. You know what I mean? That could be a – they could have a whole division that is an HBCU division within their football. So I think there's bigger games at play. I'd like to see it all play out. But um, I thought that was – I thought that was interesting that – I think a lot of people don't know. You can find that video online if you look up um, a son commissioner. But um, there's bigger there's bigger games at play than just what we're seeing right now. Yeah, so, um, I, I, I think Dr. Cavill, he kind of told us when we talked to him that, that he didn't think that idea was, was going to work uh, in his current state. But it, it didn't bother him at all because he was like, well, we got to back up to that and the back up to that and the back up to that. <laughs> Uh, so he, he may have to take a different route, but I, I think they kind of still have their, their they have their eyes on many prizes with with HBCU schools uh, definitely being of interest to to what they're trying to accomplish. Is, is that safe to say from from what you took from our conversation? No doubt about it. He quickly uh, made sure they didn't understand that he's not, he's willing to try things, and so be it if they don't work. Uh, the opportunity to be innovative in that approach. It is kind of his gift to what he brings as a commissioner that he looks at the various scenarios and and doesn't really ask the question why it doesn't work. He said, ask the question, how can it work? Which I love that mindset. Uh, 
But back to what Vaughn and Wally are addressing in some degree, I do think that the culture environment is in it, is important. We hear it talking about do it for the culture. Uh, but in similar, you know, I coined this term what I call the HBCU sports culture. And what does that really mean? But I'm just saying that there is significance in regards to how you look at the HBCU sports culture and how it drives fans. So that's not something that you can just take out. And you're right, for different institutions, it may uh, be bigger factor than other institutions, but I think it's something that we have to keep our eyes on as we continue to look forward at this conference tournament. Uh, Steve, if we if we see a scenario one day where these schools are, oh, watch this word, integrated <laughs> within a conference, uh, that, that, that Twitter smoke that can be sharp but yet friendly at the same time, uh, that... <laughs> We might have to come up with a rule book for that. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely uh, it takes on different dynamics. I mean, you know, like you're saying, uh, the the commissioner at the ASUN, he's um, very innovative and forward thinking. And a lot of times the the folks, uh, a lot of times, you know, there's criticism that folks aren't necessarily that much. And we need more of that. Um, how much will people uh, buy into it? How much will it change or alter the brand of HBCU? Uh, sports, specifically football, but just HBCU sports in general. I mean, the thing I love most going about going to the CIAA and the MEAC tournaments is, you know, before the game, before the games at the tournament, you get lift every voice and sing. I mean, uh, we just saw it on NASCAR the other day, so I'm not going to say in 2020 that anything is impossible going forward. But <laughs> cultural things like that um, are things that I, that people uh, resonate with HBCU sports bigger than uh, than a lot of things and. Um, it'll be very interesting to see. I mean, um, you know, part of me uh, has felt like, you know, just doing this, um, that the conferences are great. But as, as far as on the East Coast and the Division One HBCUs, with them just being so spread out, um, a lot of times, you know, you don't really get to intermingle that much. And it's, I think, you know, what uh, Dr. Cavill touched on and, and while he touched on as far as, you know, rivalry, which is really important. Um, you know, beyond schools that are in your area is really hard to affect and to keep up. I mean, again, you know, you can play, you know, Morgan State and North Carolina Central, I keep coming back to them, they can play each other every year and it can be tight. And in a way that is a rivalry because they're both competitive, but do they, do Morgan State and North Carolina Central alumni run together in the same circles at the same places how many, you know, how much of that is uh, just a matter of sports? And I think for at HBCUs, it always has to be bigger than sports. So it'll be interesting to see. But, you know, you could potentially see, you know, the day one day where the SWAC champion, uh, you know, you know, the MEAC champion uh, and the OVC champion and the Big South champion could be all HBCUs and you could get four into the NCAA tournament. So, um, I think that I think that um, you know, really, this all just kind of parallels a book by Doctor Doc Eugene Robinson. It's called Disintegration. You know, and it's talking about how you know, pre nineteen sixty eight, everybody, all the black folks were kind of in the same bucket, and everybody was pretty much the same. You stayed in the same neighborhoods. The doctors and the lawyers lived together. The doctors and the lawyers lived together with the common folks. And uh, since then, we've seen a change. And honestly, it started with the MEAC in nineteen seventy. When those those folks moved out of the CIAA neighborhood into the MEAC neighborhood, and now um, you're starting to see it where you've got A and T and Hampton 
have decided to move out of the HBCU neighborhood. They're still HBCUs. I mean, you know, certain things you can't get rid of, but <laughs> you know, it's, it's always, it's, it's very interesting to see how things will change and how things will, how the culture will adapt to it. Um, the culture of HBCU football, um, you know, we talked about that a lot. And there was a time a couple of years ago before the celebration bowl that some coaches, especially at the FCS level, didn't even want to say black college football. They wanted to make sure that they were, uh, you know, that they were, you know, their FCS schools that happened to be HBCUs. And I think, you know, things that have changed, happened in the last couple of years have maybe changed that. Maybe the celebration bowl has changed that. Um, so it would be interesting to see how that will be altered as well. But I think, uh, yeah, we're on the brink of some some really huge changes, uh, you know, already, especially once once this time of next year hits. Well, there's going to be well, a lot of also- questions about the Celebration Bowl moving forward uh, if the MEAC remains in his current state. Uh, Vaughn, does Rattler Nation want a, want a piece of that FCF, FCS playoffs again? I, I remember it wasn't that long ago you guys – Went up to Boone and beat App State and made some history there. Uh, does FAMU want back in the playoffs? Absolutely. The the the, the FAMU fan base absolutely loves the playoffs. Uh, I mean, pe- people say it's a long time ago and it's uh, it's distant history, but winning that first championship under Coach Hubbard and then Coach Billy Joe going farther than anybody else has gone, uh, both at FAMU being uh, – in the in that playoffs, fam, you had a taste of it and enjoyed it. But there's another factor that a lot of us are ignoring, uh, and it, it it is based on Hampton's exit. Hampton's exit left the rest of the schools in the MIAC that played football scrambling because all of the games they did it was such a short notice that all of the games were canceled, basically canceled. So it left all of the schools in the MIAC scrambling to try to fill that spot. And then they became so enraged at Hampton when Hampton came back around and they couldn't fill their schedule in the big South. They tried to schedule MEAC schools and the MEAC schools that presidents had joined the pack and said, no, we're not playing them. So it left holes. With that being said, when that was done, the MEAC implemented a protection policy of itself. And because of the enraged from that, to be honest, we don't know exactly when Florida A&M or Bethune-Cookman will be able to play a full SWAC schedule because the, the bylaw that they put in as a result of Hampton is a four-year schedule, four. Most of the times it's one or two, but because of Hampton, it is four years. The MIAC could hold steady and really sabotage a lot of the initial energy from this SWAC deal by a deal that all of the schools actually signed. That's a that's a great wrinkle you bring in there in terms of understanding uh, how that plays out. And as I said, the technical part. Um, and so usually there's a general agreement once you make that move that you come out. But depending how they felt this relationship took place, and that's why, in a lot of ways, you see Fam, you and Bethune Cookman, in terms of their entire body, saying great things about the MIAC because they want this exit strategy to be very smooth in terms of how it takes place. So they want to see the MIAC look good moving forward and survive because they don't want them to include their clauses. They try to kick off for the 2021 season. The other thing I like to add quickly is we tend to look at this in football, as you said about Celebration Bowl, and I let somebody else talk about how that may work. 
but basketball-wise, the MEAC, as well as the CIAA, if we look at those regions, have been doing much better than what we see in the SIAC and the SWAC, for that matter. So some of this may be also sport-related in regards to how it looks. So we have to be careful to focus so much on one or two sports, but look at the whole conference in regards to how it looks at various sports. Uh, because what they're doing in Norfolk with the basketball tournament has been one of the up swings in terms of what the MEAC has been able to do uh, from a positive perspective. So um, how do they look forward uh, moving that around uh, in terms of that component? If you they're also losing three baseball teams. Because Bethune-Cookman, FAMU, and North Carolina A&T are the schools that do play baseball. Um, I think they had eight starting this year, and now they've got five. I think the automatic qualifier is six. So the baseball will definitely be one that they'll look to. If they're going to add associate members, they're going to want to do that quickly so they can continue to keep their automatic qualifier. And also with all Bethune, that education. Also, <laughs> also with Bethune. With Bethune, FAMU, and North Carolina A&T, you probably have the last 20 years of MEAC baseball champions. But they've got other teams, right? As they said. <laughs> I'm, sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's, that's, that's cold, Steve. That's, that's cold. Band, <laughs> yeah, A&T's won all the championships. I'm... Uh, you know, Doc, you, you brought up an interesting point. I, I think uh, moving forward, I, I would do a lot of lip service to my schools that are still left because it's not only about uh, trying to recruit some other people. You got to keep what you have. Like, you got to solidify that maybe even before you start worrying about who might be uh, coming in. I'd be singing the praises of North Carolina Central basketball, I'd be singing the praises of Norfolk State basketball. Absolutely. Making sure that I show them the love and show other potential members, hey, you're going to get great competition, great teams to play. Uh, because if you don't show the love, man, people. That's why they creep. Hey, keep it on and, the down low. and to that point, as Wally was talking about this educational thing, let me throw this math out there for you real quick. Is that. As you talk about toting the praise of these teams, you got eight and six. So that's less money that you have to split that's coming in from the NCAA basketball side. So that's something that I would put out there that actually, as a conference, I could provide you all with more money, even if we sit pat. So, you know, let us do our due diligence to go get some teams to make sure, as we talked about earlier, it's a cultural fit. It makes sense in terms of regionality and travel. But at this point, what I was saying is actually if you leave somewhere, you're going to a conference that is probably bigger, which means by definition, if you're getting essentially the same money from SES, your cut from that split from the conference is going to be less. So let me find a way to say, hey, we got this basketball money. Y'all sit tight next year, uh, which is a reason why they may push FAMU and Bethune-Cookman out and say, hey, we can split this money between just eight of us in basketball coming in versus trying to split it 10 ways. You can leave, but it's going to cost you. I think that's the same. Yeah, that, and, and explain. <laughs> just take a, a little more time to explain how much of the budget that time. is for a lot of these schools. Yes. Yeah, so let's say, uh, just make it quick and dirty. Usually you're getting about a million dollars essentially payout, or at least last I seen from the swag. There's about a million dollars in some form that comes from the NCAA per institution. But let's say just from a quick calculation and make this real easy, let's say the payout among uh, the SWAC schools, let's do um, 10 of them, 
at this moment is $10 million. So if you divide that by 10, that's a million dollars per institution payout, right? So if I bring somebody in and I'm the commissioner, I'm going to my presidents to get this vote in the ADs, right? SWAs. I got to convince them if I'm extending it to 11 team, that somehow I'm able to increase my budget to 11 million. So when I split it 11 ways that each team still gets a million or obviously 12 teams is $12 million. So when I split it 12 ways, they get a million dollars. And what you would really like to say is if I bring in Bethune-Cookman and FAMU, then I'm going to reduce the expenditures because of travel. And I'm going to be able to get more revenue and extend my revenue such a way that my profits are actually bigger. Now I bring in $13 million because of everything we did. And so I'm actually going to extend you all more money than what we were when we were at 10. So that's what the MEAC has to find a way to sell right now is I'm splitting less money between the eight than we did with 10, 11, 12 schools. So I'm going to put more money in your pocket and let me have the time in such a way that I can bring in a a credible uh, partner, even if it's, like you said, a six-member to save baseball, that is five in such a way for the other sports full membership that we increase the revenue pot. The profit margin is really important, what we talk about. So when you divide it, I can put more money in your pocket, which is what Stephen mm -hmm. Gaither alluded to, is what is going to catch the eye of anybody coming in, those Division two schools. I'm not even talking about what you – revenue that you're coming in i'm saying partner with us we're going to show you the way when i divide the profit i'm gonna give you more money than what the ciaa gives you in the MEAC, no matter what you're spending that's math man there's a lot of things you got to consider uh, i guess it's not not so easy being athletic directors as people make it uh seem to be on twitter uh wally you need to join my class you not you, you quiet hey you <laughs> Sign me up for the online. That's that's what I'm talking about, folks out there. Just so y'all know, I y'all hear me talking about the way stuff feels. They got calculations. That's what I was talking about. So, yeah, I got I got to give a round of applause for y'all. I knew coming in here, y'all was gonna drop the knowledge. So I love it. Hey, guys, in the moments uh, that we have left here on the call, last week, Morehouse announced uh, that they were not going to play football. Um, I've talked to some other schools who say uh, they're going to make some choices after the, the 4th of July. So, so we'll see as, as the weeks continue to grow. Uh, let's, let's get a note prediction from everybody before we go. We'll, we'll start as I see them on my screen. Uh, Dr. Cavill, your prediction about how much football we'll see in the fall. Uh, at this point, with the COVID uh, taking off on specifically in the South, I just don't see football taking place, R really any fall sports. Mm. Stephen J. Gaither, I'll see you next. How much, mm -hmm. how much sports in the fall? Oh, man. I'm going to be optimistic. I'm going to say four games for the FCS. I'm give them a little something, a little taste of something. They're going to try to spark it. They're going to try to spark them out. It. Wally, how much how much sports in the fall, man? Honestly, I think you are going to get some institutions who are just going to put their foot in the dirt and say we're going to play. <laughs> Especially if you get if you have two we going to play schools scheduled to play, they're going to play. Um, I they might I, play three times. You know what I mean? <laughs> I just just by the way it's looking to me with everybody being disjointed. I mean, you got Morehouse saying we're not playing while the other schools are playing. And the I mean, you just got people, it's just people are just doing 
it's the wild, wild west. So I, I honestly think you are going to get some schools who are going to play, and I'm going to be there shooting them as well. <laughs> I ain't going to lie to you. I'm going to keep it real. As y'all know how I get down. I'm going to be there. I'll have a mask on. But if they playing football, I'm going to be there shooting it, no doubt. But, for y'all, I'll get the Rona for the culture. Vaughn, <laughs> you guys don't play down there in Florida. Y'all, y'all just do what you want to do. Uh, <laughs> last, last week it kind of got lost in, in the mix, but but fam, you added the game. They're going to go to Jackson State to replace the <laughs> Tennessee. I think they're both replacing missing out on, on Tennessee State. Uh, oh, Southern. Southern. Southern, that's right. Fam, you missing out on Southern. Uh, Jackson missing out on Tennessee State. Uh, how much do you think we'll see this fall? Man, my state, man. I, I'm. I, 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 when they say Florida on the national news, sometimes I just have. I mean, we've been bashed a lot in Florida just for general purpose uh, how we've handled things. Uh, I'm hoping some football and basketball will be played, but I think I'm pretty confident we will begin to learn the names of the cornhole champions and the dark champions that are playing right now. Oh, God. <laughs> e- esports will go on. Uh, yeah. E- e- esports and uh, we'll, we'll have the United States Air Force esports tournament in the SWAC, and uh, me and Wally will play cornhole. Uh, well, you know, Aspire over on Aspire, <laughs> over on Aspire, you're going to get nothing but documentary segments uh, on the no huddle. So, y'all, pop some popcorn. I'm, I'm ready either way it flies. But, uh, yeah. But- but I do want to say, speaking of that, if I can do a plug real quick. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a big part of FAMU and Bethune's move to the SWAC centers around the other sports. And coming up this week on HBCU Game Day, we got a special segment where I sat down with Florida A&M coach Jamie Shute, the defending MEAC champion, and Alcorn State head baseball coach Brett Richardson. And it was very interesting to hear that take because – the other sports are not considered as much. And even if you go beyond football, it's normally basketball. But I talked to the baseball coaches, and so we'll get a better perspective of the the totality of uh, the move to the SWAC. Uh, Dr. Cavill, what do you have coming up on inside the HBCU Sports Lab, and, and where can people check that out? Currently, we're sch- it's scheduled to have the Tennessee State Athletic Director, the new one, Dr. Mickey Allen, as well as Charles McCullen, Dr. Charles McCullen, the SWAT commissioner, as you know, on the show tomorrow. So we might have a surprise for everybody. Oh, so, oh, you wait, know, wait, wait. wait, 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 wait. You got Dr. McClellan and the Tennessee State AD on the show <laughs> at the same time. Mm. I didn't say at the same time. See, you're a smart man. But they will be on the show during the same time. Yeah, they'll be on the show during the same time. We'll see if we can get some conversation to go and see if we can entertain this question on why it was Bethune-Cookman over Tennessee State. I'm going to ask the question straight up, so y'all get it here first. Uh, so tune in tomorrow, because the fireworks may take place. Um, and so unless somebody backs out, uh, we'll see what we can get. It should be entertaining. Uh, that's what we do. You can check it out every Tuesday from 6 to 7 Central Standard Time on um, Facebook Live. Go to Dr. Mills inside the HBCU Sports Lab. Okay, by the time people see this, the, uh, it might have already aired. Will they be able to go back and, and see it after it airs? Great point. Still, still let them go and check it out because it will be on YouTube. So we will record it so you can come back and check it out to see what the fireworks were. 
Hey, I'm I'm gonna be there with my popcorn, man. <laughs> you, you, if I hadn't asked, you wouldn't have even told us. Look at you, man. You just man, I can no, I knew you. I knew you were a highly trained professional. I knew you were gonna ask. Good Winston Salem State University, Paul Patterson. You know, thing uh, coming off. I, I cannot I cannot play spades with uh, with Doctor Cavill. We'll be arguing over books, man. I can't do it. <laughs> Hey, guys, it was a lot of fun. Thank you all so much for joining us today. Uh, Let us know what you think in the comments. A lot of opinions, thoughts, and suggestions are out there. This has been HBCU Conversations with the best guys I know. Waleed Pitt, Stephen J. Gaither, Dr. Kenyatta Cavill, and Von Wilson. I'm Tali Carr. We'll talk to you guys later. If you're on YouTube, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. You will not be disappointed.